Welcome to Disarming Persuasion, the podcast for sales and business leadership professionals. My name is Dave Rosenberg, and I am the founder and principal at Locked On Leadership, a consulting firm with a mission to replace Thank God It's Friday with Thank God It's Monday. And I'm Ann Bonney, redhead impersonator and an expert in change management and leadership that people want to follow. Okay, Ann. What are we going to talk about today? Let's talk about overwhelm. Overwhelm is a big thing and burnout is a big conversation in the workplace today. And I think so much of it has to do with when we have to ask people to do different things. I I, I can't handle this right now. One more. You want me to do one more thing? I can't yes. deal with this. No, you, you're, you'll be all right. No. My God, there's so many things. I've got. I got so many balls. How am I going to deal with this? Well, I think so many leaders are having this exact conversation, though, with in real life. You know. Yeah. No. I, uh, right. And and that's exactly what you're talking about. How many times you go to somebody? Well, let, let, let's back up two steps. Our job as leaders is to foster change, healthy, positive change, right? Because the companies can't grow if they don't change. That's the nature. Right. Growth and change are synonymous. And so we're constantly asking, and it may be little things, it may be big things, we're constantly asking people to change their behaviors. And when people are overwhelmed and burned out, they're resistant to it. Exactly. And I think I think part of it, you know, I was I was doing a keynote recently and I said, all right, what's over if you're willing to share, what's overwhelming you right now? What's causing the burnout? And everything that people brought up was an unexpected thing. It wasn't the usual day to day. It was my dad now has cancer, or I realized I hadn't bought my daughter a ticket for the plane for vacation. And now I have to deal with all of that. It was all of the extra stuff. So I think it led me to believe that people plan and think they have capacity for what they think they're going to have to do. And so when we bring something else into that, they don't have that belief that they can do it. You know, this is actually really interesting on a couple different levels. One, when I think about what overwhelms me, and, you know, it's not a massive overwhelm, but when I sit there and I go, oh, crap, you know, um, and I've learned to surrender to my day really significantly, which has been really, really helpful. And maybe another time we could talk about that. Mm-hmm. And and I still get that, you know, that spike of like, how am I going to get this all done today? Which you know, to, to little side trip here, the surrender piece allows me to go like, I'll get done what I need to get done. And I have to just trust that whatever it is I get done, you know, without forget about plan is what needs to be done and what's being called to get done. And, and, and nothing will go. Um, I, I got a trip in three weeks to Denver that I haven't bought a plane ticket yet. And I'm, you know, I'm not stressing about it. I'm like, and, and I was going to buy it today. And then I'm like, well, I got to wait. I have a meeting on Thursday with a client that might dictate what day I go to Denver. Oh, well, you know, and the surrender piece allows me to go, right. So maybe it'll cost me a few more bucks by Thursday. Maybe not. Who cares? Right. And I just, I'm not, I'm not sweating it. Little side trip there, folks on surrender. Um, But I think to your point is, uh, those are the things that overwhelm us. And, and it brings me back to my early days in the Navy when a very wise chief petty officer said to a young Ensign Rosenberg at the time, 
said, sir, your job is not to tell the men what to do. Your job is to remove the things from their lives that prevent them from doing them. And what that translated into being had nothing to do with their job, their, their, their performance on the job, but everything to do with their life outside of the job. What do you mean? Sailors who got in too deep with, you know, because they, they would, you, you could be a, you could be a, 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 a seaman making, you know, $400 a month net, and they will finance you a car for $700 a month. And because it's guaranteed by Uncle Sam, you get bought and now you have this obligation. And now these guys are, you know, going deep in debt because there's no way they can meet that obligation. And these young 18-year-old, 19-year-olds aren't savvy enough. So I had to deal with that as an officer. That's one, right? Or homesickness or, you know, all the things outside of doing their actual job. Those are the things that I had to deal with on, on a regular basis because they were being overwhelmed and they're distracting them from their job. And that I think is where I, you know, I bring this back to what you were saying. These are the things that people are annoyed with and it's our job as leaders to deal with them. Well, and and so, and that's an interesting challenge in a more corporate setting versus a military setting. Um, how do you see that fitting in to a more business setting? I'll give you a perfect example. I had a young man working for me uh, at the moving company, we had just, we were growing and we just instituted a, uh, the, the health plan. He had six kids, four by his wife, two by, you know, uh, another baby's mama. Um, and this was 2012 ish. And he was making $15 an hour. So $15 an hour, six kids, San Diego, there is not a lot of extra income. So mm. one day he came in and I'll, I'll try and do the abbreviated version of this. And I noticed he wasn't, his behavior was off. And when I talked to him about it, what I discovered was his youngest daughter was diagnosed with lupus and he didn't know how he was going to deal with that. And um, I asked him if he was on a health plan and he said, no, he couldn't afford it. Okay. So this is not a business problem, right? This is, if, if you go, if you go back, you know, 50 years ago to old school, you know, management style, this would be like, look, that's your problem. You deal with mm -hmm. it. I need you here at work to focus on your job, right? That was the old school way of handling it, right? But literally my Navy chief came into my mind. And so after, after listening to him, understanding what was going on, reassuring him, hey, you, we got your back. You need time off. You got time off. You know, don't worry about your job we'll work around this. We're here for you. And I've told this story before. What I then did is went to my broker and we figured out how to get him on the plan mm -hmm. and then offered it to him. And he accepted because now it made financial sense for him to do that. And it just took a huge weight off his shoulder. That's what I'm talking about. Got it. Well, and that was from the benefit side, that was something you could do from the business end. But the problem wasn't a business problem. Right. That's my point. The problems that people have that overwhelm them are not necessarily, they're fine with their business, you know, doing their job, but now add on the rest of it. And that's where overwhelm comes in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and I think this is really uh, important on a lot of levels. You know, I think, I think 
these things are always going to come in. The unexpected is should be expected. <laughs> we just don't know which of the unexpected it's going to be. Um, and so how how are you thinking that we can put we can role model the right mindset and the right behavior so that when those unexpecteds hit, or at least when we figure out which unexpected it's going to be, um, we're it doesn't completely derail everything. Well, I think there's a, a couple of things we, we can do as leaders. So first of all, and I'll just use again the story I just told, what do you think happened after that? Um, and it, it was probably two, three, let's call it a week tops where, where I was dealing with this. What do you think his attitude towards the changes? Because let me back up for a bit. What happens, of course, is we, as, as I mentioned a, a little bit ago, as leaders, we're constantly throwing change at people and we're trying to get them to embrace it. What happens when we throw change is we're asking people to stop doing things from rote, right? From habit, because they have to think about, they want, they're going from unconscious competence to probably conscious incompetence, depending on how big a change it is, and then moving it to conscious competence. But both of those require thought. That's energy, which now is draining. And at some point you go to unconscious competence. And then we're going to start the whole cycle again at some point in the future or we're going to change it one more time, right? So that, mm -hmm. that, that that's where the problem lies. You throw onto this the energy drain associated with all these other distractions and people start feeling overwhelmed, right? They feel like they don't have it. So, so in, in this particular case, he was always resistant to the changes that I was presenting until I had his back. Mm -hmm. And after that, he was able to go like, you know what? I trust him. And if he's suggesting we do this, and of course, all the things we've talked about over the last two years, bringing them into the fold to these changes, this was not just me dictating stuff, right? All of that stuff has to be present. Not This is not isolated. But that allowed him to go, you know what? I'm more open. So, so that's how it works. You know, so you need, you need to be, number one, in that mindset. It's about others. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think, We've it, we've boiled down to trust so many times in so many conversations about persuasion and about leadership. We've boiled down to trust, and and by just being present for that conversation to say, hey, there's something else going on here that may be not a business problem, but there may be a solution within the business that we can we can work on. And just having that empathetic approach skyrockets the trust and the loyalty and the commitment. Um, because that's one of those major intrinsic um, motivators. And yeah, so, and, yeah. And maybe that business solution is just giving somebody the time they need. Now, balance that, of course, with, you know, so I, I need a year off. Okay, well, we can give you a leave of absence and we're going to have to fill your job in the interim. And, you know, there's always that understanding that, again, laws dependent, right, where you are. That job may not be there in a year when you get back, but we'll keep you on as a leave of absence instead of a termination. And it's our intention, like your intention is, but you may not be able to come back in a year as well, right? So there, there's all these sort of give and take things that go on, right, that are somewhat business solutions. You, you may not be able to put them on uh, the health plan like I was able to do. That may not be a viable solution. But sometimes just listening, having the conversation, considering the options helps somebody be at ease a little bit more to be able to say, okay, Dave's willing to talk to me about this. He's not going to say, this is not my problem. You need to show up for work. Shut up and don't tell me about it and go do your job. 
that just puts the whole thing at a little bit more ease, even if it isn't something that you can fix. Yeah, I mean, I, and let me get another example from my Navy days is one of the big problems you see, um, you know, and I don't know what it's like today without checkbooks and registers, but back then everyone, you know, you had to balance your register or you had to keep your own thing. 19 year olds don't know how to do that. So, you know, they join the Navy, they join Navy Fed or whatever bank they join, they get a bunch of checkbooks. And if I had a nickel for every time I heard I had checks in my book, what do you mean I didn't have money in my account, right? And so they would bounce checks at the Navy exchange. And of course that would come to me. And then, you know, we had to take it out of their pay, which hurt them even more, right? It was, a well, again, it's not the Navy's business to teach somebody how to balance their checkbook, right? It's not your business to teach somebody how to balance their checkbook, but if they're being distracted because their finances are bad and they can't do their job well, isn't it in your best interest to hold a class in business personal finances and how to manage them? Why wouldn't you do that? Right. It's not even a business solution. It's a personal solution that you can bring to the table because you, whether you believe it or not, are a mentor, a role model, a father or mother figure, a parental figure, right? We're all of those things in leadership. And again, if you get that commitment from them. If you have helped them live their life better, be less stressed and thus be able to do their job better, they are going to be in turn more loyal, more trusting, more trustworthy, and more committed to the success of the business, which ultimately is what we want. So if it's one hour lunch and learn on personal finance, it's probably going to benefit six people more so than just the one. Heck, that seems like a pretty good investment. It does. Although, I don't, can you hear that? No, you don't hear it. There's somebody screaming right now at this podcast going, I've got this worker who just doesn't care. They take advantage of that, right? Yet, I'm sure those workers are out there. I guarantee you every other person who works for you sees your efforts. And even though they're not directly benefiting, they're appreciating and they recognize that, right? And by the way, it's also another tool for you to use to look at this person if that's the way they're responding and going, are they really... Are they really in the right bus? Mm -hmm. Are they, do they belong here? Maybe they'd be happier elsewhere. It's just well, another point of evaluation. And, and one of the things I always say to people as they give arguments like that, which sometimes are hundred percent valid. I mean, you know, sometimes there are people who, you know, it doesn't uh, work, but 98.784% of the time it does. And it's always a good option. So when I'm talking about, having difficult conversations or an emotionally intelligent response or the assuming positive intent, it's always like that gives you the best chance at a positive outcome. Yeah, sure. It might not work, but it gives you the best chance at the outcome that you want from that person. For the individual. And I guarantee, as I just said, it will elevate everybody else, even if it doesn't elevate that individual. Again, the leader is the role model. And that's how we build that great bench strength. And by the way, that's the other point, you know, that, that I think is really valid here. When you do those things and show you care about your team members, not only will they reciprocate care about you and care about the company by extension, they're going to care about each other. Yes. So then you've got a team that trusts each other, that can be vulnerable, that can deal with conflict because they know that they've got each other's back. Yeah. This is how, you know, again, in the military, when we look at high, the, 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 the top, the, the SEALs, the, the Green Berets, the um, uh, force recon in the Marines, the various you know, really high special operations. 
it's not always pretty, like from the outside looking in, you could see screaming and yelling, you could see, but, but what is a hundred percent known is that when they're out there, nobody is going to let their brother down or sister mm -hmm. down. Yep. Yeah. And then if you have that trust, holy moly, the things you can accomplish are incredible. Yeah. They don't have to be your best man at your wedding or, or, or bridesmaid or whatever, or right. Not you even know. invite them to the summer barbecue. Right. Yeah. However, if they know you've got their back at work, they'll have yours. Yep. And and if they really don't, once again, evaluation point there. Mm -hmm. Yep. So. It all comes down to uh, overwhelm and creating that trustworthy environment. Again, so people can be vulnerable and say, hey, Dave, I got a problem. That's what it all comes back to. So I'm curious how the teachers you were working with, because it was a, a teacher's group, mm -hmm. how did they receive all this? Um, we were talking about specifically change and building mental toughness within it all. And so as we went through the phases of dealing with sort of, okay, my expectations of the situations are now have now changed. One of the big things that they grabbed onto from my process was identifying their own problem. Um, it's stopping and saying, why is this so hard for me? Oh, well, I, you know, I, thought I did the right thing with my credit card company. And now they've done the, you know, I did what they told me. And now they, and my expectation has changed of the service I'm going to get. And that made me feel overwhelmed. And so by stopping to say, I'm frustrated because I thought I did everything right. And it's still a huge inconvenience. They pulled themselves out of that reactive part of their brain and put it into that that more intellectual prefrontal cortex that we were talking about earlier to say, oh, you're kind of backing up and looking at yourself from afar to say, oh, I'm frustrated about this because of X, Y, Z. And that process made it a lot easier for them to say, I'm okay right now. I just have to deal with this, get it done and get back to regular life. Um, so that, that backing up and identifying emotion was, they really liked that. Yeah, and it's funny because I know you work a lot with emotional intelligence. Um, and it, that sounds like this was an emotional intelligence program, if not directly, certainly it clearly touched on, right? The first step is, is knowing your own emotions, right? The, right? the two sides of emotional intelligence, of course, is knowing your own emotions and then reading and managing other people's. It's managing, knowing, managing yours, then reading and managing others, right? That's, that, that's what it comes down to. And this is certainly the, the first step because you can't do the second if you're unaware of your own, right? Right. It, you don't know you're angry. How are you going to recognize anger in somebody else? Um, for, for me, what I really find interesting about this too, though, and, and I find myself doing this more and more is when I have a strong emotional reaction to an event. And um, I think I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, but I'm avoiding uh, calling them negative, labeling them negative because something positive always comes out of it. So why should I enable it negative? negative? However, they are powerful emotions right that, that you get and, and i and um is i then stop and ask why am i feeling that right so that's the next step so first is, is understanding where it's coming from or what 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 it is you know you know and you you hit on customer service that's one of my huge pet peeves that's a that's a big trigger for me and and understanding why that's a trigger which i'm still working on uh i i think for me it comes down to a uh it's not just a violation of my trust, right? It is a violation of my trust, but more importantly, I, I start to view that as then I made a mistake in reading this situation, right? So now it's really self-anger, 
right? So mm-hmm. How did I let myself get involved with these companies, right? You know, why didn't I see this sooner sort of thing? And that, so that that's also a really useful tool. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know we've sort of stayed uh, straight away from these outside things. And as leaders, if we can ident- if we can model that behavior, we can then also help our team by by them allowing them to see it, and then they start incorporating that behavior, and their lives get better as they start realizing, okay, I'm really not angry at you know the person on the phone who is following a script and has no authority to do the things that are I know they should be doing to make me happy as the customer because they're not allowed to do that anyway, right? And, and allow me to go, okay, I see what the situation is. And all right, thank you for trying and then take your business elsewhere or, or, or right. not. Do, yeah, exactly. Do whatever you can or will do, but then there's not this great need to ease the reaction. It's now I'm working, once I'm bringing that intellectual side of the experience and saying, okay, wait a minute, why? Why am I, why is this hard? Why am I stressed out? Why am I breathing heavy? Why is my face all flushed? By intellectualizing that, even if you don't come down to the root cause of all the anger and everything, it moves it out of reaction and into response and into thinking about it and thinking, okay, wait a minute, is this really that big a deal? Okay, yeah, it is. I got to get this solved. What do I need to do? A, B, C, boom, let's go. Yeah, here's a phrase and you're welcome to this, by the way. Oh, thanks. Out of reaction and into reflection. Mm, reflection right because from there we can then figure out okay and now now all of a sudden it that becomes that intellectual process you were just just referring to and it's really the same conversation we had last week when we talked about and it wasn't reframing but we were talking about just deciding how we were going to experience something mm-hmm. right it yep. really is the same conversation yep you know yeah it's all connected it's funny. We human beings are weird that way, isn't it? <laughs> or isn't it? Aren't we? What did I mean to say? I have no idea. <laughs> People are weird. People are strange. When you're a stranger, people get ugly. All right. That's our dance break for today. Thank you for listening, everybody. <laughs> if you have any questions, comments, concerns, or, well, no, rude remarks, keep to yourself. Um, Topics you'd like us to cover. Yeah, we'd love to hear it. Otherwise, we'll talk to you next week. Bye, everybody. That concludes another episode of Disarming Persuasion. This is Dave Rosenberg, and you can find my website at LockedOnLeadership.com. And this is Ann Bonnie at YourChangeSpeaker.com. Remember, if they fail to make a decision, you failed to disarm them.